Chapter Two of Anne of Geierstein by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Johns, Salt Lake City, Utah. Away with me, the clouds grow thicker. There, now lean on me. Place your foot here. Here, take this staff and cling a moment to that shrub. Now, give me your hand. The chalet will be gained within an hour. Manfred. After surveying the desolate scene as accurately as the stormy state of the atmosphere would permit, the younger of the travellers observed, In any other country I should say the tempest begins to abate. But what to expect in this land of desolation it were rash to decide if the apostate spirit of pilate be actually on the blast these lingering and more distant howls seem to intimate that he is returning to his place of punishment the pathway has sunk with the ground on which it was traced i can see part of it lying down in the abyss marking as with a streak of clay yonder mass of earth and stone but I think it possible, with your permission, my father, that I could still scramble forward along the edge of the precipice till I come in sight of the habitation which the lad tells us of. If there be actually such a one, there must be an access to it somewhere, and if I cannot find the path out, I can at least make a signal to those who dwell near the vulture's nest yonder and obtain some friendly guidance i cannot consent to your incurring such a risk said his father let the lad go forward if he can and will he is mountain-bred and i will reward him richly but antonio declined the proposal absolutely and decidedly i am mountain-bred he said but i am no chamois hunter and i have no wings to transport me from cliff to cliff like a raven gold is not worth life and god forbid said signor philipson that i should tempt thee to weigh them against each other go on then my son i follow thee under your favour dearest sir no replied the young man it is enough to endanger the life of one and mine far the most worthless should by all the rules of wisdom as well as nature be put first in hazard no arthur replied his father in a determined voice no my son i have survived much but i will not survive thee i fear not for the issue father if you permit me to go alone but i cannot dare not undertake a task so perilous if you persist in attempting to share it with no better aid than mine while i endeavoured to make a new advance i should be ever looking back to see how you might attain the station which i was about to leave and bethink you dearest father that if i fall i fall an unregarded thing of as little moment as the stone or tree which has toppled headlong down before me but you should your foot slip 
or your hand fail bethink you what and how much must needs fall with you thou art right my child said the father i still have that which binds me to life even though i were to lose in thee all that is dear to me our lady and our lady's knight bless thee and prosper thee my child thy foot is young thy hand is strong thou hast not climbed plinlimmon in vain be bold but be wary remember there is a man who failing thee has but one act of duty to bind him to the earth and that discharged will soon follow thee the young man accordingly prepared for his journey and stripping himself of his cumbrous cloak showed his well-proportioned limbs in a jerkin of grey cloth which sat close to his person the father's resolution gave way when his son turned round to bid him farewell he recalled his permission and in a peremptory tone forbade him to proceed but without listening to the prohibition arthur had commenced his perilous adventure descending from the platform on which he stood by the boughs of an old ash-tree which thrust itself out of the cleft of a rock the youth was enabled to gain though at great risk a narrow ledge the very brink of the precipice by creeping along which he hoped to pass on till he made himself heard or seen from the habitation of whose existence the guide had informed him his situation as he pursued this bold purpose appeared so precarious that even the hired attendant hardly dared to draw breath as he gazed on him the ledge which supported him seemed to grow so narrow as he passed along it as to become altogether invisible while sometimes with his face to the precipice sometimes looking forward sometimes glancing his eyes upward but never venturing to cast a look below lest his brain should grow giddy at a sight so appalling he wound his way onward to his father and the attendant who beheld his progress it was less that of a man advancing in the ordinary manner and resting by aught connected with the firm earth than that of an insect crawling along the face of a perpendicular wall of whose progressive movement we are indeed sensible but cannot perceive the means of its support and bitterly most bitterly did the miserable parent now lament that he had not persisted in his purpose to encounter the baffling and even perilous measure of retracing his steps to the habitation of the preceding night he should then at least have partaken the fate of the son of his love meanwhile the young man's spirits were strongly braced for the performance of his perilous task he laid a powerful restraint on his imagination which in general was sufficiently active and refused to listen even for an instant to any of the horrible insinuations by which fancy augments actual danger he endeavoured manfully to reduce all around him 
to the scale of right reason as the best support of true courage. This ledge of rock, he urged to himself, is but narrow, yet it has breadth enough to support me. These cliffs and crevices in the surface are small and distant, but the one affords as secure a resting place to my feet, the other as available a grasp to my hands as if I stood on a platform of a cubit broad and rested my arm on a balustrade of marble. My safety, therefore, depends on myself. If I move with decision, step firmly, and hold fast, what signifies how near I am to the mouth of an abyss? Thus estimating the extent of his danger, by the measure of sound sense and reality, and supported by some degree of practice in such exercise, the brave youth went forward on his awful journey, step by step, winning his way with a caution and fortitude and presence of mind which alone could have saved him from instant destruction. At length he gained a point where a projecting rock formed the angle of the precipice so far as it had been visible to him from the platform. This, therefore, was the critical point of his undertaking, but it was also the most perilous part of it. The rock projected more than six feet forward over the torrent, which he heard raging at the depth of a hundred yards beneath, with a noise like subterranean thunder. He examined the spot with the utmost care, and was led, by the existence of shrubs, grass, and even stunted trees, to believe that this rock marked the farthest extent of the slip or slide of earth, and that, could he but turn round the angle of which it was the termination, he might hope to attain the continuation of the path which had been so strangely interrupted by this convulsion of nature. But the crag jutted out so much as to afford no possibility of passing either under or around it, and as it rose several feet above the position which Arthur had attained, it was no easy matter to climb over it. This was, however, the course which he chose as the only mode of surmounting what he hoped might prove the last obstacle to his voyage of discovery. A projecting tree afforded him the means of raising and swinging himself up to the top of the crag, but he had scarcely planted himself on it, had scarcely a moment to congratulate himself on seeing, amid a wild chaos of cliffs and wood, the gloomy ruins of Geierstein, with smoke arising and indicating something like a human habitation beside them, when to his extreme terror he felt the huge cliff on which he stood tremble, stoop slowly forward, and gradually sink from its position, projecting as it was, and shaken as its equilibrium had been by the recent earthquake, it lay now so insecurely poised that its balance was entirely destroyed even by the addition of the young man's weight. 
aroused by the imminence of the danger arthur by an instinctive attempt at self-preservation drew cautiously back from the falling crag into the tree by which he had ascended and turned his head back as if spellbound to watch the descent of the fatal rock from which he had just retreated it tottered for two or three seconds as if uncertain which way to fall and had it taken a sidelong direction must have dashed the adventurer from his place of refuge or borne both the tree and him headlong down into the river after a moment of horrible uncertainty the power of gravitation determined a direct and forward descent down went the huge fragment which must have weighed at least twenty tons rending and splintering in its precipitate course the trees and bushes which it encountered and settling at length in the channel of the torrent with a din equal to the discharge of a hundred pieces of artillery the sound was re-echoed from bank to bank from precipice to precipice with emulative thunders nor was the tumult silent till it rose into the region of eternal snows which equally insensible to terrestrial sounds and unfavorable to animal life heard the roar in their majestic solitude but suffered it to die away without a responsive voice what in the meanwhile were the thoughts of the distracted father who saw the ponderous rock descend but could not mark whether his only son had borne it company in its dreadful fall his first impulse was to rush forward along the face of the precipice which he had seen arthur so lately traverse and when the lad antonio withheld him by throwing his arms around him he turned on the guide with the fury of a bear which had been robbed of her cubs unhand me base peasant he exclaimed or thou diest on the spot alas said the poor boy dropping on his knees before him i too have a father the appeal went to the heart of the traveller who instantly let the lad go and holding up his hands and lifting his eyes towards heaven said in accents of the deepest agony mingled with devout resignation fiat voluntas tua he was my last and loveliest and best beloved and most worthy of my love and yonder he added yonder over the glen soar the birds of prey who are to feast on his young blood but i will see him once more exclaimed the miserable parent as the huge carrion vulture floated past him on the thick air i will see my arthur once more ere the wolf and the eagle mangle him i will see all of him that earth still holds detain me not but abide here and watch me as i advance if i fall as is most likely i charge you to take the sealed papers which you will find in the valise and carry them to the person to whom they are addressed with the least possible delay 
there is money enough in the purse to bury me with my poor boy and to cause masses to be said for our souls and yet leave you a rich recompense for your journey the honest swiss lad obtuse in his understanding but kind and faithful in his disposition blubbered as his employer spoke and afraid to offer further remonstrance or opposition saw his temporary master prepare himself to traverse the same fatal precipice over the verge of which his ill-fated son had seemed to pass to the fate which with all the wildness of a parent's anguish his father was hastening to share suddenly there was heard from beyond the fatal angle from which the mass of stone had been displaced by arthur's rash ascent the loud hoarse cry of one of those huge horns made out of the spoils of the urus or wild bull of switzerland which in ancient times announced the terrors of the charge of these mountaineers and indeed served them in war instead of all musical instruments hold sir hold exclaimed the grison yonder is a signal from geierstein some one will presently come to our assistance and show us the safer way to seek for your son and look you at yon green bush that is glimmering through the mist saint antonio preserve me as i see a white cloth displayed there it is just beyond the point where the rock fell the father endeavoured to fix his eyes on the spot but they filled so fast with tears that they could not discern the object which the guide pointed out it is all in vain he said dashing the tears from his eyes i shall never see more of him than his lifeless remains you will you will see him in life said the grison saint antonio wills it so see the white cloth waves again some remnant of his garments said the despairing father some wretched memorial of his fate no my eyes see it not i have beheld the fall of my house would that the vultures of these crags had rather torn them from their sockets yet look again said the swiss the cloth hangs not loose upon a bough i can see that it is raised on the end of a staff and is distinctly waved to and fro your son makes a signal that he is safe and if it be so said the traveller clasping his hands together blessed be the eyes that see it and the tongue that tells it if we find my son and find him alive this day shall be a lucky one for thee too nay answered the lad i only ask that you will abide still and act by counsel and i will hold myself quit for my services only it is not creditable to an honest lad to have people lose themselves by their own wilfulness for the blame after all is sure to fall upon the guide as if he could prevent old pontius from shaking the mist from his brow or banks of earth from slipping down into the valley at a time or young hare-brained gallants from walking upon precipices as narrow as the edge of a knife 
or madmen whose grey hairs might make them wiser from drawing daggers like bravos in lombardy thus the guide ran on and in that vein he might have long continued for signor philipson heard him not each throb of his pulse each thought of his heart was directed towards the object which the lad referred to as a signal of his son's safety he became at length satisfied that the signal was actually waved by a human hand and as eager in the glow of reviving hope as he had of late been under the influence of desperate grief he again prepared for the attempt of advancing towards his son and assisting him if possible in regaining a place of safety but the entreaties and reiterated assurances of his guide induced him to pause are you fit he said to go on the crag can you repeat your credo and ave without missing or misplacing a word for without that our old men say your neck had you a score of them would be in danger is your eye clear and your feet firm i trow the one streams like a fountain and the other shakes like the aspen which overhangs it rest here till those arrive who are far more able to give your son help than either you or i are i judge by the fashion of his blowing that yonder is the horn of the good man of geierstein arnold biederman he hath seen your son's danger and is even now providing for his safety and ours there are cases in which the aid of one stranger well acquainted with the country is worth that of three brothers who know not the crags but if yonder horn really sounded a signal said the traveller how chanced it that my son replied not and if he did so as is most likely he did rejoined the grisson how should we have heard him the bugle of uri itself sounded amid these horrible dins of water and tempest like the reed of a shepherd-boy and how think you we should hear the halloa of a man yet methinks said signor philipson i do hear something amid this roar of elements which is like a human voice but it is not arthur's i wot well know answered the grisson that is a woman's voice the maidens will converse with each other in that manner from cliff to cliff through storm and tempest were there a mile between now heaven be praised for this providential relief said signor philipson i trust we shall yet see this dreadful day safely ended i will holloa in answer he attempted to do so but inexperienced in the art of making himself heard in such a country he pitched his voice in the same key with that of the roar of wave and wind so that even at twenty yards from the place where he was speaking it must have been totally indistinguishable from that of the elemental war around them the lad smiled at his patron's ineffectual attempts and then raised his voice himself in a high wild and prolonged scream 
which, while produced with apparently much less effort than that of the Englishman, was nevertheless a distinct sound separated from others by the key to which it was pitched, and was probably audible to a very considerable distance. It was presently answered by distant cries of the same nature, which gradually approached the platform, bringing renovated hope to the anxious traveller. If the distress of the father rendered his condition an object of deep compassion, that of the son at the same moment was sufficiently perilous. We have already stated that Arthur Philipson had commenced his precarious journey along the precipice with all the coolness, resolution, and unshaken determination of mind which was most essential to a task where all must depend upon firmness of nerve. But the formidable accident which checked his onward progress was of a character so dreadful as made him feel all the bitterness of a death instant, horrible, and, as it seemed, inevitable. The solid rock had trembled and rent beneath his footsteps, and although, by an effort rather mechanical than voluntary, he had withdrawn himself from the instant ruin attending its descent, he felt as if the better part of him, his firmness of mind and strength of body, had been rent away with the descending rock as it fell thundering with clouds of dust and smoke into the torrents and whirlpools of the vexed gulf beneath. In fact, the seamen swept from the deck of a wrecked vessel, drenched in the waves and battered against the rocks on the shore, does not differ more from the same mariner when, at the commencement of the gale, he stood upon the deck of his favorite ship, proud of her strength and his own dexterity, than Arthur, when commencing his journey, from the same Arthur, while clinging to the decayed trunk of an old tree, from which, suspended between heaven and earth, he saw the fall of the crag which he had so nearly accompanied. The effects of his terror, indeed, were physical as well as moral, for a thousand colors played before his eyes. He was attacked by a sick dizziness, and deprived at once of the obedience of those limbs which had hitherto served him so admirably. His arms and hands, as if no longer at his own command, now clung to the branches of the tree with a cramp-like tenacity over which he seemed to possess no power, and now trembled in a state of such complete nervous relaxation as led him to fear that they were becoming unable to support him longer in his position. An incident, in itself trifling, added to the distress occasioned by this alienation of his powers. All living things in the neighborhood had, as might be supposed, been startled by the tremendous fall to which his progress had given occasion. Flights of owls, bats, and other birds of darkness, compelled to betake themselves to the air, had lost no time in returning into their bowers of ivy, or the harbor afforded them by the rifts 
and holes of the neighboring rocks one of this ill-omened flight chanced to be a lammergeier or alpine vulture a bird larger and more voracious than the eagle himself and which arthur had not been accustomed to see or at least to look upon closely with the instinct of most birds of prey it is the custom of this creature when gorged with food to assume some station of inaccessible security and there remain stationary and motionless for days together till the work of digestion has been accomplished and activity returns with the pressure of appetite disturbed from such a state of repose one of these terrific birds had risen from the ravine to which the species gives its name and having circled unwillingly round with a ghastly scream and a flagging wing it had sunk down upon the pinnacle of a crag not four yards from the tree in which arthur held his precarious station although still in some degree stupefied by torpor it seemed encouraged by the motionless state of the young man to suppose him dead or dying and sat there and gazed at him without displaying any of that apprehension which the fiercest animals usually entertain from the vicinity of man as arthur endeavouring to shake off the incapacitating effects of his panic fear raised his eyes to look gradually and cautiously around he encountered those of the voracious and obscene bird whose head and neck denuded of feathers her eyes surrounded by an iris of an orange tawny colour and a position more horizontal than erect distinguished her as much from the noble carriage and graceful proportions of the eagle as those of the lion place him in the ranks of creation above the gaunt ravenous grisly yet dastard wolf as if arrested by a charm the eyes of young philipson remained bent on this ill-omened and ill-favoured bird without his having the power to remove them the apprehension of dangers ideal as well as real weighed upon his weakened mind disabled as it was by the circumstances of his situation the near approach of a creature not more loathsome to the human race than averse to come within their reach seemed as ominous as it was unusual why did it gaze on him with such glaring earnestness projecting its disgusting form as if presently to alight upon his person the foul bird was she the demon of the place to which her name referred and did she come to exult that an intruder on her haunts seemed involved amid their perils with little hope or chance of deliverance or was it a native vulture of the rocks whose sagacity foresaw that the rash traveller was soon destined to become its victim could the creature whose senses are said to be so acute argue from circumstances the stranger's approaching death and wait like a raven or hooded crow by a dying sheep for the earliest opportunity to commence 
her ravenous banquet was he doomed to feel its beak and talons before his heart's blood should cease to beat had he already lost the dignity of humanity the awe which the being formed in the image of his maker inspires into all inferior creatures apprehensions so painful served more than all that reason could suggest to renew in some degree the elasticity of the young man's mind by waving his handkerchief using however the greatest precaution in his movements he succeeded in scaring the vulture from his vicinity it rose from its resting-place screaming harshly and dolefully and sailed on its expanded pinions to seek a place of more undisturbed repose while the adventurous traveller felt a sensible pleasure at being relieved of its disgusting presence with more collected ideas the young man who could obtain from his position a partial view of the platform he had left endeavoured to testify his safety to his father by displaying as high as he could the banner by which he had chased off the vulture like them too he heard but at a less distance the burst of the great swiss horn which seemed to announce some near succour he replied by shouting and waving his flag to direct assistance to the spot where it was so much required and recalling his faculties which had almost deserted him he laboured mentally to recover hope and with hope the means and motive for exertion a faithful catholic he eagerly recommended himself in prayer to our lady of Ensidlen, and making vows of propitiation besought her intercession that he might be delivered from his dreadful condition or gracious lady he concluded his orison if it is my doom to lose my life like a hunted fox amidst this savage wilderness of tottering crags restore at least my natural sense of patience and courage and let not one who has lived like a man though a sinful one meet death like a timid hare having devoutly recommended himself to that protectress of whom the legends of the catholic church form a picture so amiable arthur though every nerve still shook with his late agitation and his heart throbbed with a violence that threatened to suffocate him turned his thoughts and observation to the means of effecting his escape but as he looked around him he became more and more sensible how much he was enervated by the bodily injuries and the mental agony which he had sustained during his late peril he could not by any effort of which he was capable fix his giddy and bewildered eyes on the scene around him they seemed to reel till the landscape danced along with them and a motley chaos of thickets and tall cliffs which interposed between him and the ruinous castle of geierstein mixed and whirled round in such confusion that nothing save the consciousness that such an idea was the suggestion of partial insanity prevented him 
from throwing himself from the tree as if to join the wild dance to which his disturbed brain had given motion heaven be my protection said the unfortunate young man closing his eyes in hopes by abstracting himself from the terrors of his situation to compose his too active imagination my senses are abandoning me he became still more convinced that this was the case when a female voice in a high-pitched but eminently musical accent was heard at no great distance as if calling to him he opened his eyes once more raised his head and looked towards the place whence the sounds seemed to come though far from being certain that they existed saving in his own disordered imagination the vision which appeared had almost confirmed him in the opinion that his mind was unsettled and his senses in no state to serve him accurately upon the very summit of a pyramidical rock that rose out of the depth of the valley was seen a female figure so obscured by mist that only the outline could be traced the form reflected against the sky appeared rather the undefined lineaments of a spirit than of a mortal maiden for her person seemed as light and scarcely more opaque than the thin cloud that surrounded her pedestal arthur's first belief was that the virgin had heard his vows and had descended in person to his rescue and he was about to recite his ave maria when the voice again called to him with the singular shrill modulation of the mountain halloo by which the natives of the alps can hold conference with each other from one mountain ridge to another across ravines of great depth and width while he debated how to address this unexpected apparition it disappeared from the point which it at first occupied and presently after became again visible perched on the cliff out of which projected the tree in which arthur had taken refuge her personal appearance as well as her dress made it then apparent that she was a maiden of these mountains familiar with their dangerous paths he saw that a beautiful young woman stood before him who regarded him with a mixture of pity and wonder stranger she at length said who are you and whence come you i am a stranger maiden as you justly term me answered the young man raising himself as well as he could i left lucerne this morning with my father and a guide i parted from them not three furlongs from hence may it please you gentle maiden to warn them of my safety for i know my father will be in despair upon my account willingly said the maiden but i think my uncle or some one of my kinsmen must have already found them and will prove faithful guides can i not aid you are you wounded are you hurt we were alarmed by the fall of a rock ay and yonder it lies a mass of no ordinary size as the swiss maiden spoke thus she approached so close 
to the verge of the precipice and looked with such indifference into the gulf that the sympathy which connects the actor and spectator upon such occasions brought back the sickness and vertigo from which arthur had just recovered and he sank back into his former more recumbent posture with something like a faint groan you are then ill said the maiden who observed him turn pale where and what is the harm you have received none gentle maiden saving some bruises of little import but my head turns and my heart grows sick when i see you so near the verge of the cliff is that all replied the swiss maiden no stranger that i do not stand on my uncle's hearth with more security than i have stood upon precipices compared to which this is a child's leap you too stranger if as i judge from the traces you have come along the edge of the precipice which the earth slide hath laid bare ought to be far beyond such weakness since surely you must be well entitled to call yourself a cragsman i might have called myself so half an hour since answered arthur but i think i shall hardly venture to assume the name in future be not downcast said his kind adviser for a passing qualm which will at times cloud the spirit and dazzle the eyesight of the bravest and most experienced raise yourself upon the trunk of the tree and advance closer to the rock out of which it grows observe the place well it is easy for you when you have attained the lower part of the projecting stem to gain by one bold step the solid rock upon which i stand after which there is no danger or difficulty worthy of mention to a young man whose limbs are whole and whose courage is active my limbs are indeed sound replied the youth but i am ashamed to think how much my courage is broken yet i will not disgrace the interest you have taken in an unhappy wanderer by listening longer to the dastardly suggestions of a feeling which till to-day has been a stranger to my bosom the maiden looked on him anxiously and with much interest as raising himself cautiously and moving along the trunk of the tree which lay nearly horizontal from the rock and seemed to bend as he changed his posture the youth at length stood upright within what on level ground had been but an extended stride to the cliff on which the swiss maiden stood but instead of being a step to be taken on the level and firm earth it was one which must cross a dark abyss at the bottom of which a torrent surged and boiled with incredible fury arthur's knees knocked against each other his feet became of lead and seemed no longer at his command and he experienced in a stronger degree than ever that unnerving influence which those who have been overwhelmed by it in a situation of like peril never can forget and which others happily strangers to its power may have difficulty even in comprehending 
the young woman discerned his emotion and foresaw its probable consequences as the only mode in her power to restore his confidence she sprang lightly from the rock to the stem of the tree on which she alighted with the ease and security of a bird and in the same instant back to the cliff and extending her hand to the stranger my arm she said is but a slight balustrade yet do but step forward with resolution and you will find it as secure as the battlement of burn but shame now overcame terror so much that arthur declining assistance which he could not have accepted without feeling lowered in his own eyes took heart of grace and successfully achieved the formidable step which placed him upon the same cliff with his kind assistant to seize her hand and raise it to his lips in affectionate token of gratitude and respect was naturally the youth's first action nor was it possible for the maiden to have prevented him from doing so without assuming a degree of prudery foreign to her character and occasioning a ceremonious debate upon a matter of no great consequence where the scene of action was a rock scarce five feet long by three in width and which looked down upon a torrent roaring some three hundred feet below End of chapter two